You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. It's an interlull Arscast as well. Um, normally, I pretty much hate the international break because there's no Arsenal, but it feels like perhaps no Arsenal might be a good thing for you, for me, and perhaps for Mikel Arteta, who has time to think and plan and readjust and tweak can do stuff to make us better after the pretty disappointing defeat to Aston Villa last weekend. So that's stuff we're going to be talking about with our guests now in a few minutes' time. A little bit later on, I want to give you some details on something that we're trying to do on the site and via the Twitter account, because times are tough uh, for many small businesses. So we want to try, in the build-up to Christmas, to give them a bit of a platform to um, uh, advertise, I guess, or to find potential customers, but to try and make it um, symbiotic in a way because everybody is in a bit of a weird place because of uh, COVID restrictions. I know they're more stringent in some places than they are in others, but we're, we're heading towards Christmas and shops aren't open, businesses aren't open, uh, restaurants and bars and services are not open, and it's really tough for people out there. So we want to try and do something to, to, to let people find businesses and let people advertise our businesses and find potential new customers. So stay tuned a bit later on for that. And I'll give you more details of how you can get involved and how you can have a look at what we're trying to do. It might work. It might not. I don't know, but it's an idea. And sure, look, if it doesn't work, fuck it. At least we gave it a try. No harm in trying, I guess. But before we get to today's guest and the conversation that we have, I'm very, very excited to announce a brand new sponsor here on the Arscast. It's very exciting. They're one of the the blue chip brands in the world, I guess you would say. So to have them on board is, is really fantastic. Uh, it's basically a game changer for the podcast, for podcast advertising in general, I think you would say. So... Look, there's not much more I can do than just push the button. So here's the button. Today's show is brought to you in association with a brand new product exclusively for men. It's called the Gooch Strimmer. Lads, we've all got a bit going on down there, and it's only right and proper that we look after ourselves for our significant others or any random encounters we might have from dating apps. The Gooch Strimmer is easy to use, perfectly safe for your dangly bits, and just as effective if you're shaving dry or wet. So whether you've got a Gooch goatee, mutton chops, a gunslinger, or a Van Dyke, not Virgil, (laughs) you need the Gooch Strimmer. Remember, it ain't what you do, it's what your taint looks like. 
To find out more and get a 10% discount, just visit thegoochstrimmer.balls. That's thegoochstrimmer.balls. Wow. I mean, what more can I say? What do I need to say? What can I add to that that hasn't already been covered in that uh, incredible uh, infomercial, whatever you want to call it? Right. Time to get on with today's show, and there's a lot on the agenda. There's a lot going on at Arsenal right now. We're not feeling good. We were feeling a bit better than this last week, but we're not feeling so good this week. That's because we're not playing that well, and results have been patchy at best so far this season. So with me to discuss that, some players and more, delighted to welcome back to the show from the Arsenal Vision Podcast, it is Clive Palmer. Hi, Clive. Hey, Andrew, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. I want to ask you where where you are in your head, which is a, a fairly broad existential question, I know. But we have this international break, and uh, a week ago we would be sitting here excited enough and happy enough because we'd beaten Manchester United away at Old Trafford and we'd be encouraged by that. And here we are a week further down the line and we're discouraged by the fact that we got well and truly taken to the cleaners by Aston Villa at home. Um, I'm, I'm trying to find the balance between what I can see and I think you have said and many people will understand is a kind of a long-term, medium to long-term job for Mikel Arteta to put things right versus the sort of short-term problems that we're encountering this season in terms of results and most crucially in terms of performances and the kind of football that we're playing. We'll get into the nuts and bolts of that and the attack and all of that in a while, but but just how do you step back and, and try and consider all of those aspects and, and how do you feel about it? Yeah, it's hard to stay reflective sometimes when we start the season nine points out of 12, looking quite good. We, you know, we're at City and we missed those chances before halftime, but we're all fairly encouraged. Leicester was unfortunate, and, and then we had Man United, and we're thinking, yeah, this is good. Right? And it wasn't just the result, it was how we won, you know, quite aggressive, quite front-footed. We, mm. we found a centre-midfield pairing, particularly for that game, that seemed to work, that seemed to bring back memories of yesteryear when we really, you know, really dominated that space. And we stole a goal and went off with the points, right? Hung on at the end, went off with the points. And we were sort of really encouraged going into the Villa game, think if we can get that one in the bag, then then have a bit of reflection. But the way we sort of lost the Villa was very un-Arteta-like, in my opinion. I think since the moment he's come in, he's basically, he's basically, um, he's basically just said, we, we have been a real team-based team-based approach and every time we've seen him his team has really supported him and and I think in this game we look very much like a a team that we sort of recognise from the Emory era, we're a little bit broken a little bit disparate Mm. and we're back to the basketball game and I think that really surprised me it really surprised me and I said on the podcast, I said, if you didn't recognise, if he wasn't Arteta, you'd probably think, what's going on here? Has he lost the dressing room? I mean, it was it was that bad, that that game for me. And I think it was a slap to us all to say, actually, we're still going through this process. Mm. We're still going through this. You know, what have we actually done? Who have we actually sold? Who have we actually bought? What types of players have we bought? And then you recognise there's still some gaps to um, to close. And I think to all of us now, we're thinking, how can we improve this team? That's probably the next thing yeah. in our minds. 
I mean, is there a danger when you, you mentioned it there? It just occurred to me. You, you talked about the midfield partnership at uh, Old Trafford and it was encouraging and they played really well and they dovetailed together. Um, you know, is there a danger sometimes that we overhype the good results and over criticize some of the negative ones? I'm not saying there's anything that we uh, need to um, make excuses for when it comes to the Aston Villa game and the performance and the way that we played uh, and even the way the team was was set up. But, you know, there is a, a danger, isn't there, that we lurch from one extreme to the other where a good performance at Old Trafford um, makes people think perhaps that we're better than we are and the Villa game, while terrible, I agree with you, it was on Arteta-like. I don't think it's really a true reflection of who we are as a team. Yeah, I, I was, even the games we lost against City and against Leicester, I could still see Arsenal. You know, I could still see us. And I could still recognise the team. We, we just got done by fine margins. And I was thinking about this recently. I'm thinking, you know, am I actually enjoying this season? Am I enjoying the games? Why am I so tense in the games? That's because we always win or lose by one goal. Right, so every game is really sort of close and really sort of important. And so basically, we're in a situation where we really are in an analytical way looking at the games because we're a little bit disconnected. You know, when you we can see the crowd, you can sort of get a bit of um, collectivity around how we look at the game. But when you're sort of you know disconnected on on pay per view, <laughs> looking at the games, mm. I think. We do tend to be really analytical, and I think we can all see the shots data, we can all see the creativity data, and then we say, well, that's what's wrong then. And then we're really hammering down, and we're forgetting the journey, right? I really do think we are. I know each each, each of our journeys are different, but we're forgetting there is a journey, and I think from an individual point of view, we have some players here that are in different points of their careers. We have a number that are at the towards the, the autumn of their careers and we have a number there at the start of their careers and we haven't got enough players in the peak of their careers and every now and again that really showed itself on the pitch. This was something I was going to ask you a bit uh, later on because it was just I wrote down two words before we started talking and it was age profile and the age profile of the squad and the team. Um, and obviously there are some experienced players in it, the front three, uh, the other day had a combined age of what 85 whatever it was <laughs> you know so there's there's plenty of experience in there even if some of the legs perhaps aren't looking quite as quite as good as they might do um you know and then you think about Thomas Partey in midfield who's 27 you know and in his prime yeah. years um but we've got players like Socrates, Ozil, who are, you know, going to leave the club in the next little while. Um, there are some players in that mid-range, but are there enough players in that mid-range? Is there too much of a gap between the young talent and the experienced players w without enough in the middle? Yeah, I think there is. And I think this is, there's a couple of reasons for this. We, we've obviously had a historically interesting uh, transfer policy and we have a number of players that are really looking after their pensions and and future pay packets and in this COVID environment why should they leave you know mm -hmm. there's no market for these players so they're hanging around so while they're hanging around we have to try our best to use them and 
And while they're hanging around, we can't really go out and buy enough PKs players because of the waste bill, etc. So there isn't room in the squad for any more sort of players to come in in that, in that peak age. Mm. We've already got a couple of players not in the squad. You know, it's not being used. So if you look at the squad, uh, look at the contracts that roll off next summer, you know, Socrates, Mustafi, Louise, Ozil, that's a lot of money there. You know, that's a lot of money. There's, there'll probably be question marks around the futures of maybe a holding in the chambers, a Kalashnik. You know, we're starting to really see that there's, there's work to do. Right, there's work to do. And then you have a group of younger players that are quite promising, the Haylanders that we all know and love. And we're, we're asking to be in the team when there's no really historic track record they can deliver for a, a team like Arsenal consistently. Now, they're promising players. We all like them. But we need to create room for players to bring those players along. Mm. Now, I, th- I was thinking some of these older players are acting as mentors, but actually I'm not so sure anymore because I've gone away from that thought process because I just want these, some of these older players to play well, you know, and, and in that front three that with an average age of 106, you mentioned, <laughs> basically they're not playing well. You know, it's yeah. as simple as that. They're not playing well. I know everyone's talking about creativity, but sometimes when you think about form, you know, and there are things we can do systemically and how we load the pitch and where we play and where we play positionally. But let's think about form and who's in form. Mm. And we haven't got a lot of players in form that are really, you know, player of the month candidates for the Premier League, that type of thing. We, they're just not there, you know. So if they are there, they're defenders, they're defensive players. And it's our defensive record since Arteta's come in that really stands up. The next phase is now for him to work on. So... What's your thoughts on the timing of the Villa game in terms of um, having this, <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of having this two-week break uh, because of the internationals? Um, I know he's not going to have his entire squad to work with and it is a bit difficult when players are going here, there and everywhere. But in terms of what he, as the manager of the football club, is going to do, do you feel like if there is a time to get beaten Three nil. It's when you've got uh, time to step back and look at it and think about it in a in a, a considered way. Because in his post match interview with the official website, he was really angry. You could see how angry he was, and he said, "I want to, I want to play another game tomorrow so we can get this out of our system." Um, chances are we might have played the same way if we had another game the next day. Whereas this this little time to step back and look at what's what's happening on the pitch and not happening on the pitch, is it a is it perhaps a, a positive thing if we're looking for silver linings anywhere along this uh, particular cloud? I think so. I think the Leicester game, and it really annoyed me because of how we lost it, you know, mm. with Shaka and Mustafi in those wide channels. We've seen that story before, right? And Jamie Vardy running in and scoring. We're thinking, yeah. oh man, have we have we actually changed? You know, so. But you can always think back to the mischance from Lacazette and the the unfortunate disallowed goal, and you could sort of like pacify yourself, you know. Yeah. But Aston Villa, you can't, right? They beat us from minute one. It looked alarming, didn't it, on the pitch? And and that's where the manager took responsibility because that's his job to get us out there motivated. And so we, it was so, I'll say bad, it was just so, um, it caught me by surprise, actually, if I'm mm. honest with you, that actually this is the time to really have a look at ourselves and say, okay, what do we want to be? Are we really maximising the players? Who are our star players? Are we positioning them to achieve their maximum? 
Are we making them do jobs they're not really effective at doing? Are we putting onus on players and not actually performing and not giving chances to players who are performing in the Europa League games, for example? So here comes a moment to analyse yourself. All the data's out there. All Everybody can see the data. Yeah, Everyone knows where we sit. We're down with the West Bronze when it comes to a creative play. And that's not where we want to be. And that's not going to get us to where we want to be back into the Champions League. So he's going to have to do something. And you know, I've got a few ideas. I'm sure you have. Sure. Um, he's going to have to do something to change this. And, uh, and I think this is the perfect time to have a reflection. Yeah, there's a good piece um, on The Athletic today. James um, has done it with uh, Tom Warville looking at, you know, the, the issues that Arsenal face in attack and, and creating and making things happen and the way we hold the ball and the way we don't shoot and, and all of those things. Oh, I'd love to see that. I'll look at that later. Yes. But, it's, but it's, a, it's a big thing for me. You know, one thing that really annoys me is our security in the last third. We build up. We're... Dean Smith actually said that, you know, we scored the most goals and build up from the goalkeeper. Mm. So that's why he pressed us. So we're good at, you know, progressing the play. And we get to that last third and bang, we lose it. You know, we just lose it and we're yeah. back into a basketball game again. And it's something that we sort of ignore. We we look at the data and think about the the last action, the last shot, you know, but we get close to that area and then lose it. Don't retain it. No connectivity. Our distances are not clear. They're not. They're too far away. We have too many people isolated, and and I think a lot of that's underpinned because we're not secure on the ball. The people are not moving proactively because they don't trust the guy on the ball. So what they do is they they stand off. Then they arrive into situations too late, and you can see what Villa did to us. They had people around the ball, so they had. Grealish, they had Barkley, they had Matt Target, they had supported by McGinn, and they played in that right-hand channel for us and really connected around there because they trusted each other. So when, look, when you, I'm sorry to interrupt, but what, but what you're talking about here is that, let's say, an Arsenal player takes the ball and doesn't trust that the player he's giving it to can give it to him in a forward area if he makes a run so he stands still is that kind so, of what so you're he saying stands still. And, I, and I think part of this is players know players they know when someone's in form so when someone's mm. hot they move off him and I think another thing I think that he, the coaching emphasis is very much it's a defensive emphasis let's just be honest you can see the players movement when we're off the ball sometimes particularly mm. at Manchester United we look really switched on off the ball but we need to get switched on on the ball and I don't think we're aggressive enough I don't think we are proactive enough I don't think I think we leave things to individuals on their own mm. and then we go and so we score like some you know, perfect spectacular goals we don't get many tappings like we used to you know, and we're just not combining the edge of the area like we used to because we're just not connected <laughs> the last um, tap in we got was the Aubameyang goal when we did actually make something happen around the edge of the area and Bellerin crossed for him to score and that was our signature, wasn't it? Yeah. That, that used to be what we always did, right? So I'm not one to look back, you know, historically and, think, and wish for the olden days, but we never had to worry about those sort of goals. It was, it was getting the ball there and stopping people running through us was the issue. Yeah. But when we got to the edge of the area, we, well, just sit back and enjoy ourselves, right? And that's, that's what we always did, but that seems to have changed. And I think that is down to the positioning of some of our forward players. All right. So look, let's get into this a little bit then, because I think that is an area, you know, in which I certainly have uh, a desire to see something different than what Mikel Arteta has been using of late. Um, 
you mentioned form, and I think that's a really fair point. I also think that system is part of this, um, that certain players are being used in certain ways, which doesn't really get the best out of them. Or, or um, as time goes on and they struggle, uh, it becomes really apparent that they can't necessarily do what, what he wants them to do in, in those positions. Um, you know, I'm looking at Lacazette and I, I see a player who's being asked to do a specific job, but somebody who's also missing the kind of chances that a striker like that should be scoring. I'm looking at Willian and I, I, I see a player who, you know, I was able to talk myself into the idea that he could, if he, you know, came in and played the way he played at Chelsea, contribute in a very positive way because, you know, I think the three-year deal for Willian was absurd. It was just yeah. ridiculous. There's no two ways about that. At the same time, though, Chelsea were willing to give him a two-year deal. So it wasn't necessarily that they thought he was washed up and around the corner. They they were happy to give him two years. He wanted three. We were stupid enough to give him three. But he's capable of more than we're seeing at this moment in time. Nevertheless, it feels like those two guys are kind of the... I'm not going to say the easy fixes, um, because I don't think there's necessarily an easy fix, but I look at someone like Nicolas Pepe, who is imperfect, but brings a lot of what we're not getting right now in terms of people who can carry the ball, people who run with the ball, people who are are prepared to shoot, for example, even when it's not the perfect opportunity. Um, Aubameyang down the middle is a, a, a drum that I've been banging for a little while and I'm curious as to what you think about that and and potentially what we do from that left-hand side because um, I've I've heard you raise some concerns about Bakayo Saka not necessarily about uh, who he is and what kind of a player he is but just in terms of how much he's being used so you know if I was to say to you tomorrow you get to pick the team for the for the Leeds game for uh, you know what's your front three for that and how do you try and uh, and make it more effective than it is right now yeah they, they are the best front three they are everything's points towards those three on the assist and goal involvement and but really and it's not about just selecting an 11 I think it's really important that people recognize it is how we play and where we play we we do spend a lot of time deep in our own last third and mm. And I, I think we need to, we haven't got the option of giving the ball away and pressing and getting it back that way. I think when teams press us, when we go long, we lose it and lose possession and end up on the back foot. So we need to, we need to get those players into the right areas of the pitch so people have to go back and go and get them and mark them. It's easy to mark a Bamiang on the touchline when the touchline is your friend, right? He's an extra defender so you can just kick him off the pitch, right? And it's the same for Pepe when he gets the ball close to the touchline. And we have Hector Bellerin in the areas that I would like Pepe to be in. Mm. And then you say to yourself, is that effective use of, of resources? And I have a very simple view of the game. You know, I always talk about the exterior and the interior. And you want your super talent in those inside spaces closer to the goal. And you want your, I call them your brawn and the brain. So you have the brains inside, you have the brawn on the outside. So you have your power athletes on the outside and you have your technical scorers, mm. technical midfielders on the interior and I just think we've got our technical scorers on the outside of our team and and too many power athletes on the inside of our team not able to create not able to manipulate the ball not able to sustain attacks not able to track runners defensively we need to think about this we need to get our our star players our really technical players 
in the central area within the small spaces so we can scare opposition. It's just a, it's just a simple tweak. I mean, I don't think... Arteta's not stupid, right? If he can't see this, then we've got a problem. You know, uh, yeah. we really have got a problem. He's given people chances, and they're not doing it, and he's now suffering for it. You know, one four, lost four. That's not that's not where you want to be, right? So, yeah. And so we have to get um, Abamyang in the middle, and I'm not I'm not concerned about the fact he can't hold the ball up because I think he can. I think his combination play is the one thing that is working quite well at the moment. But we can't have our forward having one shot a game. It's just, it's just absolutely a waste of resources. And you've heard me say it a thousand times, Andrew. The job of a coach is to maximise the resources that he has. Arteta's coach, young coachables defensively, beyond my expectations. But while we're winning these games by the odd goal and, and things like that, we have to be suddenly realising that actually we're not scoring enough to sustain this over a longer period. And to do that, we've got to get those three into a narrow position put me in an armchair with, with full-backs outside them and underpin them with engaging three centre midfielders, two number eight connectors that want to engage, want to play, that manipulate the ball and can bring the ball to them. Mm. And once you do that and you squeeze up from the back to front and keep your distances nice and tidy, you've got a chance. So, a- yeah, I mean... You talked there, I mean, you you answered my next question, you know, by talking about a midfield three, which means you're playing with a back four. So we, you know, we don't need to go into the ins and outs of that back four, because I think the the makeup of the midfield is potentially the, you know, obviously uh, shifting things around with that front three, I think is important, but but also what happens behind them is important. So is there a, a trio that you see from the players that we have that would be your ideal or... You know, is it one of those things where you kind of tweak it based on who it is that you're playing? I mean, is there, for example, still a place for someone like Granit Xhaka, who's fallen off the the um, the wagon a little bit? That's the wrong metaphor, but you know, he's fallen out of the team. wasn't in the team for the for the game against uh, against Villa. Didn't get off the bench, and he's been somebody who's been uh, in the team a lot under Mikel Arteta. Um, how would you? fashion that midfield three with the players we have in this squad and available to us? I think, um, I don't give up on Shaka. I mean, uh, I think this team is developing away from him. Um, but with parties come in and we can all see what midfielder looks like and suddenly it's like mm. party and who else? That's what it's become in literally no time at all. And other teams are taking notice of him as Leicester did and they man-marked him. So, for me, it's one of, you know, if Shaka is going to play in, almost like in that triangle, for me, he should play at the base and just do some policeman work in front of the back back four. But also, he's got long distribution with his left foot. So that's something I would see. But I would much rather have party and maybe Sabayas in engaging roles. So they are higher up the pitch, but they are actually engaging with the opposition, you know, pressing them, winning the ball, creating transitions. Shaka's not good at that. He's more of a, a lateral mover. He sees things laterally side to side and he wants to go and put out fires that way. Mm. But if you if you ask him to press too high, then he, he comes back with a taxi, right? He comes back in stages. So it's not great. So keeping where he can see the game, keeping where everything's in front of him, keeping where he can see passing targets and let the people who are, are better, more agile in one-on-ones, in duels, in Sabias and, and party to be higher up, and create a number eight connection that we see that Liverpool do and what Man City do. And that just makes more sense to me. And it, it creates those triangles and those lanes. And I think 
I think we just need to simplify things a little bit, Andrew. I know it sounds very simple. We all know this formation. It's not like super podcast analyst stuff. <laughs> but it's like we all know this formation. But sometimes simplicity is the best thing. Get people near each other. Get those triangles. Get those connections. Don't have your star players in areas where they can't hurt people. Have them in areas where they can hurt people. Suddenly you're getting the movement. Suddenly you're getting the connection. Suddenly you get proactive movement. So the guy on the ball looks better because he can see two or three running targets either coming towards him or running away because they feel confident, because they feel connected. So if we don't do this, we're going to see more of this. And, you know, watching Arsenal at the moment, I'm, I have to say I'm not enjoying it, you know, and mm. watching Arsenal at the moment no. to me is a, I'm not enjoying it in a way where I'm enjoying, I'm not enjoying the games. I'm not where people just enjoy the games. So whose fault is it? Do you see what I mean? I'm yeah. looking at it thinking what the solutions are. And I, I want to see, you know, more connectivity in, in our team. And that's my big focus. Do you think he might be just kind of a little bit stuck? You know, Arteta having come in, done a job, made things more solid, um, finished the season obviously very encouragingly uh, with the FA Cup win, which is, you know, it is a big achievement for a manager in the first months of his career, let alone in the circumstances in which Arteta has taken charge, etc., etc. But, you know, are there things... um, that he might just feel uh, are a bit of a crutch at this moment in time and has been reluctant to change them for fear of kind of undoing some of what he's done previously. I mean, I think when, when he came in, we uh, some of his defensive systems, I, I'd never seen them before. You know, I just hadn't seen them. And I mean, I'd given up on these players. You know, I, I thought they were done, some of those defenders. And he made them much better than they were. And we won some big games. That's when, you know, ended the season in a positive way. But if you look at who we've bought since he's come in or around the last year or so, we bought a number of defenders. You know, we bought Mary, we bought Cedric's Elliot's favourite player, we bought um, we've got Party in, we brought Tierney in, we've got Saliba coming in, we've got Gabriel coming in. Quite a lot of defensive players. So we've got eight or nine centre halves and but then you think about the attacking players that we bought, you know, so we we've promoted a couple of youngsters, we brought in William. You know, who looks older than Joe Biden at the moment. And then you've got a situation with Pepe, who's our investment, but we're not sure the manager trusts him. So we've depowered him. Lacazette is, is a known quantity and he needs freshening up. And um, for me, that's best done away from the club. And we've marginalised Aubameyang. So from a, an attacking point of view, we're looking stale. You know, we're, mm. we're looking out of form. From a defensive point of view, those, a lot of those parts have been added and some of to come back in fitness. And so we've got room to move people out. So defensively, I think he's done really, really well. We starting to see the start of a midfield for the first time in a long time. But I honestly believe he hasn't thought too much about the attacking end, rather beyond pattern play and how we get there and how we and how we move and how we switch from side to side. Mm. I just don't think he's really focused on it. And I'm just hoping this lap will make him focus on it because because he had everyone and everything and every bit of information he's telling him that he needs to. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's been quite interesting to see people 
speculate as they do, um, you know, when we don't play well and we're not playing well. And I'm not going to make any excuses for the, for the lack of uh, firepower or the lack of attacking potency or anything like it. But there's sort of, uh, I see people talking about, well, maybe this is who Arteta is as a, as a manager. This is his view of football that he prefers to be defensive. He wants his team to have fewer chances, but better chances, perhaps. Maybe that's his mindset. But I also see him talk about needing to score 90 or 100 goals a season. We're probably going to need about four seasons to get to that, the way we're playing at this moment in time. I see a guy who was brought up at Barcelona, you know, where the emphasis is on attacking football. I see a guy who played for Arsenal under Arsene Wenger, where the best form of defence was attack, as far as uh, Arsene was concerned. It was having the ball, it was putting the opposition under pressure and and minimising uh, their opportunities. Of course, it didn't always work out that way, but, you know, that was the, 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 the sort of the, the nuts and bolts of the philosophy. It was to attack and to express uh, yourself on the pitch and to have the freedom to express yourself on the pitch. You know, he worked with Pep Guardiola now. Uh, again, similar things in terms of, you know, perhaps the structures and the patterns of play and what he wants from players in certain positions and, and how he deals with them, because I think there's an element of the same kind of um, control freakiness uh, going on between those two guys. But I can't square the idea that he is somehow, uh, despite the fact he spent time at Everton, uh, like... David Moyes, that kind of a coach. I just can't do it. You know, I can't. Don't get away from it. Yeah, but, he, you know, he's at Arsenal. He knows what Arsenal is supposed to be about. He knows what his team needs. He said it countless times in the last number of weeks. We've got to attack better. We've got to score more goals. We've got to create more. It's about finding the solution. So I don't think it's like a, a psychological block or a psychological issue, you know, that goes against everything he stands for as a manager or a coach. I think it's about um, finding the right system or finding the right players within whatever system he puts in place. Yeah, I think so. I've got a few theories on this, right? So Arteta's a positional coach, so he cares about where you are within the zones on the pitch, very similar to Arteta. So having, you know, Bamiang wide, he thinks he's going to stretch the defence out and someone else is going to run through the gaps. Well, there is no one else that's doing it, right? So being a positional coach is one thing, and I think he's also got another weakness for me. Um, I think he worries about um, single points of failure in his team. So when everyone's telling him to play a number 10, play number 10, well, he's thinking, if you mark that guy, my creativity goes. So he doesn't want that. If everyone's saying, put your superstar forward at centre forward, he's thinking, well, I can have him on the left. He can work for balance and he can arrive. And it's harder for people to stop. At centre forward, maybe you can stop him. You can mark him out of the game by doubling up on him. Sometimes you just got to do the thing that's just, just right in front of you. Mm. you know, don't be afraid of um, of those issues because the people that you're you're trusting, they're not doing it for you. Right, so you can no longer trust them. So, trust the people who have got a track record of doing it. Put them closer together, and see what they can do. And, and so, I think he's fighting himself. Really, I think he's fighting his own principles. I think he's fighting his team-centric principles. I think he wants the team to be the star, not individuals. Mm-hmm. But we have some star individuals that the club has invested in. So let's invest in them on the pitch. Well, you, you can you can have stars and structure. You can, you know. You know? I mean, you, Barca. Look at Man City. I mean, they they had 
an amazing structure, but they had individuals who could do incredible things and still do incredible things. And that's during Arteta's reign there. Exactly. And so Kevin De Bruyne and Sterling stand out. They just, they lifted themselves above mm. the pack and they were relied upon. And I tried to, de- I tried to defend him in my mind and I tried to think of things. What's he trying to do? What's he trying to do? And I think, well, actually, is he just trying to raise the standards of being an Arsenal player by making people work harder to get into the team? Like, like a Joe Willock, for example. And I think, well, actually, there are people in the team that are taking our standards down. So mm. why are they still there? You know, so. Yeah. This is why I really feel, Andrew, this, this break has come at a really good time because because I tell you now, you know, there's a lot of people that like Arteta are very supportive, but there's a rumblings in the background there. I'm sure you're aware of them. Yeah. That people are saying he's too inexperienced. Is this his moment? What's he going to do? Does he need some experience on the coaching? Why can't he see the obvious? And and this, I tell you what, the team selection for Leeds away is probably going to be the most uh, interesting team selection in many a year. And, and if it's not what people want to see, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, interesting reaction. But I will say again, it's not just a team selection. It's where on the pitch we play and how we play and what we do in the areas that we need to be in that's really important. We can... We can all pick that first 11 team that we'd like to see in the 4 3 3 ish, with one or two maybe differences or challenging moments, mm. but it's more important in how we play. And, and I've only seen a couple of patches this season, like Sheffield United, for example, when I felt, oh, that looks like us. Yeah. And I want to get I want to get back to that really quickly. It seems kind of wrong to suggest that there there needs to be an element of bravery or that he hasn't been brave enough with with his uh, team selections. I mean, he's made some brave you could call them brave decisions um this season in terms of, you know, the the makeup of the squad and we're going to talk about one of the players that that wasn't in it. Um but you know, when you make some of the decisions that he has made, and you don't perform, you've got to be, you know, prepared for that kind of thing. So it's kind of brave to leave out a superstar like Ozil when your team yeah. lacks creativity. So it's not like it's not in him. And I'm not going into the rights and the wrongs and the ins and outs of that particular decision. It's just to sort of point out that, you know, if he feels single-minded about something, he can make a decision that um, he's prepared to live with, even if other people aren't necessarily. Yeah, he's, he's got a ruthless edge, and and, and he and he's, and he's sticking to it, and he and he needs to. Mm. Unlike Henry, he needs to stick to it because um, we all know what happens if you could, if you don't manage that dressing room appropriately, right? So mm. he he has that ruthless edge, and I, but I, I just feel I just feel there's there's a there's a, a light shining on him, right? So what are we as an attacking outfit? Are we what what is our identity? You know. What is what is what is Arsenal representing from an attacking point of view? Are we the pattern play team, or are we going to be the team to let those players off the leash in a creative manner? Mm. I think he he needs to do that. And there are a couple of people banging on the door really quite loudly, and they need to be given that that chance. Mm. And I think um, the next like the Leeds game is going to be the one, mate. It really is. It's going to be the one that says. What are we? What are we trying to be from an attacking point of view? And I yeah. think 
he really needs to take that opportunity next game. Yeah, sure. Or, you know, at the very least, give us, uh, put players on the bench who can do things that might give us a, a different approach if we need it. You know, it didn't feel like we did anything different against Aston Villa to try and get back into the game. We just replaced kind of like for like, even if the players, um, you know, Pepe for Willian is, is a different style of player. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I want to just talk a little bit, if we can, about a couple of players. I think Pepe merits a little bit more discussion. I know we mentioned him early on as part of that front three, but he was in the in the uh, the media this week, um, as can often happen during the international breaks. He did an interview with Canal Plus, and I, I thought, you know, obviously things like this are are uh, the headlines tell you that it's Pepe hitting out at Arteta and that kind of stuff. I don't really think it was quite that. We've seen much worse from players down the years um, when they go away on international duty or whatever it is. Uh, you know, he he expressed frustration at not being in the team, and that's good. Yeah. I'm happy enough to live with that. If he wasn't uh, frustrated with what's going on so far this season, then I'd be more worried. Uh, you know, he took responsibility himself, though, and says, you know, it's up to him to show Arteta that, that he... Uh, you know, deserves more than this sort of super sub role that he's been thrust into. So, you know, he's taking responsibility on that himself. But I just wonder about the the overall management of, of Pepe. I know he's a frustrating player. I know that um, he does things that don't come off a bit too often. He He's been underwhelming. Uh, in many games, the price tag is impossible to avoid because of just, you know, it's the club's record signing, etc., etc. But I do wonder what it's like when you're a player who has had a difficult enough first season in England. You play pretty well towards the end of the season. You do very well in the FA Cup final. It looks like you've taken a step forward and then the club go out and very publicly and proudly sign 
a 32-year-old player to play in exactly the same position as you. I've got yeah. no problem with competition for places. I think it's important. I think it's necessary. It's something that a player has got to deal with at any club. You know, at any level, you've got to deal with uh, somebody who wants to play where you play. But this just felt, I don't know. It just felt a little bit too like uh, a kick in the balls, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is one of the things that Arteta could be criticised for, or Arsenal could be criticised for, and that is our sort of treatment of, of players sometimes. I think we just don't career manage them very well some, on occasions. And mm. I think if you brought if you brought William in and said and gave him to Saka and said, Saka, this is the guy, you two are going to share that role off the left. And he's going to mentor you and make you a better player. And, and on occasion, he'll play number 10 and he'll rotate around those positions. But to put him in the position of, of the guy that's our major investment is just not smart. Particularly a guy where you can you can see that he's quite introverted. You can see that he was just finding his confidence after mm. a difficult first year. He had a very good cup final. We, could, we started to see the link between him and Aubameyang. And I was really excited for the start of the season. And then we do this William thing. I'm thinking, okay, we all know the score with the agent, etc. But okay, let's let's just see how it goes. Let's see how we use him, you know. And mm. but then we use him to kill the guy that was just making progress, and that just isn't smart, right? So if you're a, an Arteta critic per se, you could you can say, well, look what he's done to Urzel, and look what he's done. He hasn't quite managed Guendouzi right, and Torreira's gone, and, and you start to stack up a list of people. You know, mm. now if you're if you're positive with him, you can say, well, this is my management client. This is what you want. You want leadership, change the culture. You don't want individualists in these spaces. You want people to play for the team. And I'm all for that. I am all for that. But in the end, you have to you have to invest in in the people that are worth investing in. And when you're sitting there with you know on average like eight or nine shots a game for the season, then you got to say to yourself, hold a minute, we got mm. a shooting killer in Pepe. That can score from almost anywhere on on the pitch. Why not put him near the goal and see what he can do? He is a goal scoring forward that creates. Don't make him on the sideline on the chalk on boots. Make him getting kicked by idiot fullbacks, or knocking it back to Bellerin. That's that's not the best use of it. And so, this is what he needs to do. Not just from a tactical point of view, but emotionally. How how important is he making this guy feel? And. I think like I think like you, Andrew. I think he's I think he's really killing him, and I think he needs to support him. I've heard rumours that he's supporting him on the coaching field, and he has requirements for him. Well, that's his right. But I think the players in playing his position are not doing it, mm. and he looks more positive when he comes on. So trust him and see how far he can take you. Well, that's it. You know, if Willian had come in and was uh, tearing it up and making assists and scoring goals and taking shots and doing all the things that, uh, you know, uh, would keep a player like Pepe out of the team, then fine. You can you can live with it even if you don't like it. But when he's not doing it, you know, it seems like you're you're kind of adding to the problem by not making the required change, if you like. So I, I really want to see him come in and, you know, I think he's a flawed player. I I, I have some concerns about uh, some of uh, the aspects of his play in terms of, you know, what he does when we don't have the ball, perhaps. But then I've looked at Willian, who's 32 years of age and has worked for managers like Mourinho and Conte and knows fine well what's expected from a defensive point of view and hasn't done it 
Um, you know, hasn't bothered to do it. it well, hasn't bothered to do it. That's a much better way of putting it. You know, I've I've watched him just not bother doing his defensive work. So you know, on that basis, um, you give a guy chances, and if he's a player you wanted, all well and good. But you know, you you send the wrong message if you leave a guy like that in the team for too long. Um, and when Pepe. Um, I think he's got five gold contributions so far this season. Willian has two, and they both came on the opening day of the season. So, you know, if we're looking to be more productive, he is a player who uh, I think needs to be in greater consideration. Another one, if we're talking about player management um, and Mm. career progression or lack of progression, is William Saliba. Um, This is a really complicated one in some ways, I think, because he is a 19-year-old central defender and centre-half in the Premier League is a very, very difficult, very demanding job. He came on the back of an injury-hit season, uh, didn't play between March and August or whenever it was because of uh, the lockdown in France. Um, And yet it's impossible to look at what Wesley Fofana is doing at Leicester uh, in the context of William Saliba you know, and yeah. what we've been trying to do with him and what we've been trying to do with him is send him on loan back to his former club. And, um, you know, maybe we feel he needs more development time. But even if you feel like that, the fact that you didn't get it done really is a poor way to, to manage a young player. So I'm curious as to what you think of of this situation and what might be going on with him after he, you know, played for us in the f- fucking Papa John's trophy or whatever the fuck <laughs> it's called. This was not what uh, Arsenal fans were expecting when we paid £28 million for an 18-year-old. And I'm pretty sure it's not William, uh, what William Saliba was expecting either. Yeah, that's becoming really apparent. I've never seen someone look so moody as he's walking into a game. You know, he's like... And I'm, I don't know. I wonder how many hundreds of thousands of Arsenal fans are trying to catch that game online. I mean, mm. because we we watched him, we all YouTubed him last year, and we come from a situation where he was being pulled out of a French Cup final, you know, against Di Maria and and Neymar, etc. A game that he would have played in, and he would have done absolutely fine, no doubt. And Fafana played in. And we pulled him out of that game, and so we're all getting excited. And, and then he doesn't play for us, mm. you know. So, so obviously there's some things that maybe happened off the pitch, but football-wise, you know, I, I absolutely know what I saw last year. Absolutely know it because you can compare it to the people he's playing against. Everything about him looked like he was a positive addition to to our team, right? So, obviously he, he missed out on some games, but for me. The treatment of him by a club, a professional club, it's not good. So, okay, you you may have realised that he may not be quite to the level, which I then is very debatable. Then you have a loan situation and you don't do it. But while you don't do that, you don't include him in the Europa League squad. So that means you must be trying to loan him. Then he doesn't go on loan. Does he not go on loan because he doesn't want to go on loan? Or does he not go on loan because... You know, basically, Arsenal messed it up, or the club messed it up, or there's an admin issue, whatever it was. Whatever it was, it looked crap. It mm. looked really bad. That's not how you treat people. That's not how you manage careers. And so we've got a situation now we have a player that um, seems to be a mile away from playing in the first team, and no one really understands why. We've watched little snippets of him. He looks fine to me. He looks worth a shot. The Europa League would have been perfect. Yeah. Right? Why? I think we've got Man City in December in the in the League Cup. So 
that's going to be a tough one. So, the, so why, it just seems like we've missed such an opportunity to see a young player develop in our club. And now we've got a situation where he was playing first team football for Saint Etienne in the French league in big crowds, and we got him playing at League One Gillingham. You know, it it must be soul destroying for him. It must be soul destroying. So something has happened. There's been an event happened. And I want to sit back and say, look, Clive, I'm not a professional. I need to trust the professionals that see him every single day. They see him in training, seeing how he's moving, seeing his attitude, seeing what he does. I don't see things football-wise that he can't do. There's some people were assessing the game against Gillingham the other day, but he's Gillingham, and he's playing with some really young kids. And he's a six-foot-four, 19-year-old man. That's what he is. He's physically a man, and he's having to try things and hold back on things and it must be really difficult when you had first team football adults football men's mm. football to go into a it's basically a youth environment which he's left behind you know and that's hard to do and what does that do for him psychologically so i don't i don't want to criticize per se but if you look on the outside and look at this there's plenty to criticize yeah i mean you know? I th- yeah I, I just um I think there's stuff, obviously, that goes on behind closed doors and stuff that we don't know about mm. um, that, that influences decision-making on all kinds of levels of football clubs, you know, um, team selections. And we're going, why isn't that guy in the team? And we don't know that he's got, you know, dodgy hamstring and he can only last 30 minutes. So he's on the bench just in case we need him. That kind of stuff goes on all the time. Um, you know, the going back to the loan um, issue, uh, Claude Puel says, I've got to give credit here to uh, at Tribo King on, on Twitter. Um, he was talking about Claude Puel, his manager of Saint-Étienne, was saying, we tried. He had a great desire to join us. It's like his family and his friends, the club. His adaptation and level would have been instantaneous. This would have happened if all the conditions had been met. Now, we don't know what those conditions were, whether it was Arsenal wanted some kind of oversight onto his training because of the physical issues that he might have had, etc., etc. But he's had a season at, or half a season, or three quarters of a season, whatever it was last year in France before the, the pandemic hit and it was closed down. And he's now missed another half a season, basically. Uh, again, the circumstances are unusual because of what's gone on in terms of uh, the lockdown and the late start of the season. But, you know, £28 million for a club like Arsenal to spend on a player who has yet to make uh, the bench. He did make. Did he make the bench once? I can't remember. Might have made the bench for a uh, Carabao Cup game. I'm not 100 percent on that. But you know, he's yet to make his official debut for us. That's yeah. you know, when you're a club like Arsenal, it's eyebrow raising when you spend that much money on a player of 18 years of age. It suggests quality. It suggests potential. It suggests a readiness, even if you loan him back to his old club for a year. So. I mean, do you think there's more to it than we know, or is it just a case that we have handled this really badly? The only thing I can think of is that the Etienne thing didn't happen, and I also wanted him to go to a championship club. And he said, no, I'm not going. Right? And so they said, okay, so you're now going to have to develop here, and we're going to play in the, in the younger games. That is the only thing I can think of that maybe has not been out there written mm. in, in huge numbers per se. And so I think Arsenal wanted him to play, and he 
probably maybe rejected it. And I think that's where the friction is coming in. Right. So there seems to be more positive words coming from Arteta recently, and he seems to be looking quite fit. I think you know he's a he's a big lad. You know, mm. he, he could be rumours about his fitness and and his, and his weight, for example, and and he's grown very very quickly. And when players grow quickly, they do pick up stress related injuries, you know, bone related injuries, back injuries, stress fractures, etc. I'm trying to look at it from a you know, player development point of view to ask a way to ease him in. I'm trying to put myself in the club's shoes. But when it comes down to it, again, you've made an investment. Invest in the investment. You know, and, yeah. uh, and I, again, we're saying the same thing with Pepe. We're saying the same thing with Aubameyang. You know, are we maximising these players positionally, tactically, and giving them enough game time in the areas where they can really do damage? And there's a little trend developing here, which I don't like, which, which is okay when you're winning. But then when you start to lose, mm. people start to look at the management of, of players and careers and and styles, and they start to pick at these things. And that's just the nature of the analytical football fan today. That could read James's article in the, in the Athletic quite easily and absorb that and, and find many reasons why we're not doing what we should be doing. Yeah, well, it's mad, isn't it? You talk about Pepe, Saliba and Aubameyang. That's £160 million worth of investment that Arsenal have made. And it's, look, we've obviously had a return from Aubameyang. There's no two ways about it. And, yeah. you know, his current... Uh, situation on the left isn't really reflective of him on the left because we know he can do an awful lot more there but certainly Saliba and uh, Pepe are two players who um, we've spent a lot of money on we're not getting what we should be getting from them but look Let's see what happens after the interlull. Hopefully, Mikel Arteta will uh, please everybody with a new approach, a new style, better football, attacking football, lots of shots, lots of goals in a win over Leeds. Uh, <laughs> it's not much to ask for, is it? He needs to. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. We're all sitting at home yeah. <laughs> looking, at, looking at these games. And That's so, it. Yeah, I, I, do, I do miss going. I must admit, Andrew, I'm missing going badly. Sure. And, because I wouldn't be this analytical if I was in the Tollington getting drunk out of my mind. I tell you, I'd be watching the games and coming home. So I miss that. You know, and maybe I wouldn't be, wouldn't be thinking this way. And I think many people feel that way. But hey, yeah. here we go. Well, look, yeah, let's hope we can get back into the stadium uh, soon uh, as well. All right. Listen, a pleasure as always, uh, Clive. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot. You can find Clive on Twitter at ClivePAFC. That's at ClivePAFC. And, of course, he's part of the excellent Arsenal Vision podcast crew, which you can find at ArsenalVisionPodcast.com, I think. I should really look that up, shouldn't I? ArsenalVisionPodcast.com. Or, you know, just search for Arsenal Vision Podcast uh, in your podcast app and you'll find it there. It is. It's ArsenalVisionPodcast.com. Right. Going back to what I was talking about at the start of the show, um, there are lots of small businesses, independent businesses, artists, creators, restaurants, um, uh, writers, poets, I don't know, musicians, all kinds of people and all kinds of businesses are being uh, affected by COVID-19, by restrictions, by closures, uh, simply by what's going on in the world right now. And I thought it might be a nice idea if somehow we could use the platform that Arsblog has to let other Arsenal fans advertise their wares and other Arsenal fans could look at that and say in the build-up to Christmas, I'm going to do my shopping locally or from a small business. It doesn't have to be local. It could be somebody the far side of the world who's got something that you want. But rather than sort of give your money to, you know, Amazon, 
when you're doing Christmas shopping, if you can't get to the shops, think about buying from uh, other Arsenal fans, from somebody who could really use the business. You know, make your money, what you're going to spend at Christmas in terms of presents or gifts or whatever it might be, whatever that might be, make it work for other Arsenal fans or for small businesses, because I think at this moment in time, we all need to do our best to try and pull together. So what I did was uh, I put up a thread or put up a post on Twitter. I've asked people to respond to it uh, with the name of their business, what they do, what they sell, what service they provide, what location they have, and their website. Um, so you can then follow that thread and have a look at, at what's on offer. So if you have a business, the link to that Twitter thread or Twitter post is in the show notes, and you can find it on the post on arsblog.com, which contains this podcast. You can leave your information there. If you're interested as a listener or a customer or a client or a consumer in availing of of what these businesses have to offer, you can go and take a look uh, and see if there's anything that tickles your fancy and you could maybe spend some of your money there. Um, I don't quite know how it's going to go. I don't know if there's going to be enough people who reply. I don't know if there's going to be enough people who are interested. But maybe if you're out there and you've got a business and you want to get it to uh, a few other Arsenal fans you might find it useful. So uh, check out the post on Twitter. It's in the show notes. As I said, you can click the link. It'll take you right to it. And if you're looking for stuff, if you want to support other small businesses, you know, check it out and see if there's anything there that might work for you. So look, it might not go anywhere, but it might just be useful for some people. And maybe it's an idea that other people could take on and they could perhaps uh, modify it and make it better. Because, you know, this isn't really the kind of stuff that I'm very good at. I just thought it might be an interesting way of of trying to put people together. Um, we will, if there's enough there, try and put together some sort of... Um like a website or, or a shareable uh, Andrew Allen, what did he say he might be able to do? Uh, fuck, this will tell you how useless I am. Like a shareable Google document or a spreadsheet or something like that that we can share around as well so you can find all the links in a, in a handy place. So check it out. Um, there's a hashtag. It's called ArsBiz, B-I-Z with a, with a Z. It was not a hashtag that was in use. So if you search on Twitter, for arsebiz as a hashtag, you might find something there as well. So look, maybe and hopefully it could turn out to be something good and something positive. Christmas is just a few weeks away and I know that there are a lot of businesses and services and people out there who who are finding it difficult. So if this helps in any small way, I'd be very happy about it. Um, so there you go. Right. That is about that for this week's podcast. As ever, I thank you very much indeed for listening and for being here. Your support is always uh, hugely appreciated. Hope you enjoyed the show. James and I will be here on Monday with an Arsecast Extra. There is no football this weekend, of course, beyond internationals. Uh, there are some Arsenal players in action. We'll round up some of the stuff uh, that's going on there. And, of course, whatever there is to talk about on Monday. So please join us for that. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, look after yourselves, look after each other, and we'll catch you on the next one. Until then, take it easy. Bye-bye.
Are you tired of having to go outside to buy beer? Well, we've got just the thing for you. Today's show is sponsored by Dronecraft. The new beer subscription service delivered to you by a tiny little helicopter. Today's show is brought to you by Dentaruff, the electric toothbrush that's also a doxometer. Hey folks, nobody likes going to the post office, am I right? So, why not save yourself all the time and all the hassle by using Orphan Mail? We'll send an orphan to your house to pick up your shit and wait in line at the post office to send it. Today's show is brought to you by Audibubble, the world's greatest collection of books printed on the side of balloons. Are you tired of experts telling you what you can and can't do? Well, stick it to them with today's show sponsor, My Own Private Scalpel, the new home surgery kit that's sweeping the nation. Today's show is brought to you by Rectangle Space, giving you all the tools you need to make a website that no cunt's gonna fucking look at anyway. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.